all, all too often people, they don't see clearly when it comes to life's greatest difficulties. But last week, I believe that Jesus was showing us a way that we can see in the midst of suffering when we see with foresight. Now, this week, we're going to finish this chapter as he's going to show us the difference between a blind man seeing and seeing man blind. The difference between those two things is the ability to have blind faith. The difference between a blind man seeing and seeing men blind is the ability to have blind faith. John chapter 9, verse 6 says this. When he had said these things, this is Jesus, of course, speaking. And so he had just talked to the blind man and gave him some instruction. He was talking to his disciples about suffering and, and those sorts of things. And, and then he says these things. He spits on the ground. Now, mind you, we don't even know, according to these verses, what he's said to the blind man so far. All we know is that he's had this discussion with his disciples. So he said these things to his disciples. Then he spits on the ground. He makes clay with his saliva. And then he anoints the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Salome, which is translated sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Just pause right there. Again, I want to put you in the story a little bit. He has this discussion about the blind man and his family and whose fault it was that he was blind. And then in response, they must have paused as they were walking by the blind man. And Jesus begins to spit. I don't know about you, but I would think, well, this is awfully weird. Here's our leader. We're following after him. He gives us some revelation about why this man is blind. And then all of a sudden he starts spitting on the ground. Does anybody even know what he's doing at the moment? I don't think that his, his disciples would have been like, what is going on right now? Why is Jesus spitting in the dirt? Why in the world would Jesus take the time to spit? That kind of seems gross, disgusting. Now, there's a lot of reasons that people will put out there as to why Jesus decided to start spitting. Number one is for those who are not much into modern-day healing taking place, the continuous idea of God still brings healing to people's lives. They want to make sure that the rest of the church understands that Jesus went out of his way to make sure that there was no formula for healing to take place, that there was no absolute method that his people could follow in order to produce Healings, And so that's their answer, why Jesus would have done so many different things in order to bring healing into people's life. That's okay. Another reason is that people believe that he was spitting because spitting at the time was a curse. And so that's a true statement. If you look in the Old Testament, uh, there's a story. It's similar to the story in the book of Ruth that when 
uh, somebody would not have children, their husband would pass away, it would be the next person in line, the heir that would have to acquire her and then cause her to have children. And if that person wouldn't do that, then it would go to the next person. And eventually, a sandal that represents inheritance, they could go before the elders in the city, remove the sandal representing inheritance, and if there was somebody that could but wasn't spit in their face as a disgrace to them, to shame them for not giving them an inheritance. And so there's this idea, as it is still today, that to spit would be somewhat of a curse. It's a gross thing. It's a shaming thing that Jesus would use. This because the blind man, as most of you know from last Sunday, was somebody who was looked at as accursed, right? Because whose sin was it? Why he was blind. He was cursed in life, and so he couldn't amount to anything but a poor beggar outside of the temple. He wasn't even allowed to go to church. As much as he might have wanted to worship with everybody else, he couldn't go into the temple because he would have been considered dirty because he couldn't see what he touched. And so people would have looked at him in shame and disgust. Potentially there could have been people who would spit at him or whatever it might be because he was like the filth of the earth. And so Jesus would use spit in order to reverse the curse and bring healing to his life. The other aspect that I've read about, you guys okay if I share with you all the different things I read? Was that spit was actually looked at as a remedy. The opposite of point number two. And that if, if people use spit, like when you cut your finger and you suck on your finger, like that spit could actually help, that it was some sort of remedy. And so especially if it came from somebody who was like a high priest, then it was looked at as some sort of healing fluid that would help somebody. And so that's why Jesus would use spit because people would actually recognize it as being helpful to the situation. Others believe that it was purely symbolic because for Jesus to have used his spit, he would have been implanting his DNA into the dirt of the earth that formed creation. And then he would stir those two things together. And just like the curse brought blindness on mankind, he would be reversing the curse by including his DNA into dirt and he would be creating a miracle, a miracle of creation in this man's eyes. Now, the first time that I read that, I thought, you know, people always look for things to give explanations. But as I actually, this is the one that I looked at probably the least favorable. And then as I, as I kept studying, it's the one I probably believe most. Because it's interesting to me. Uh, that when you look at this whole story in context, that you have the dirt, which is the creation of Adam, you have the DNA of the, of the divine, that back in those days, there were, and even today, it's congenital blindness, it's possible that not only would he have had some sort of deformity in his eyes, but it's just as possible that he had no eyes, and so when you look at the response in the rest of this story, as we'll see, you'll see that whatever took place in giving him the ability to see, not even his neighbors in verse 8 recognized him once he had the ability to see. Does that even make sense? 
because back then they probably grew up around each other for all the all these years right this would have been the little neighborhood blind boy that's now a poor beggar down by the stairs of the temple because he can't go inside they would have seen him come and go all of their lives there his parents helping him and and people helping him get to the temple whatever it might be or stumbling around with a stick in his hand that at some point just because he has the ability to see they no longer recognize who he is unless you've seen somebody that was born without eyes and then all of a sudden the next time you see him they're like wide-eyed there'd be a drastic difference in their looks and then if you look at verse 32 which we'll get down to the response of the blind man he says since the beginning of the world this hasn't happened this type of miracle He's talking about an extreme magnitude here. Like you can look back in the Old Testament and all of the miracles that took place. But this is a miracle that was a miracle of creation. If it was something that hasn't taken place since the beginning of time, what took place in the very beginning was creation. And no miracle like it has happened since then. And now he's exclaiming, there's nothing of this magnitude that has ever taken place since the beginning of time. Now, the final reason that Jesus spit in the clay is also what I believe to be an absolute truth. This goes with any other reason that you want to throw in there, is that part, part of the reason that he would spit in the clay is because it was the Sabbath. Does that make sense? So if you've been here throughout this whole series, there's one thing that Jesus has been in trouble for throughout this whole book. And that's because he healed the man, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus probably would have been okay if he had just spoken to him to stand up. But he told him to stand up and take up his mat. And if you remember when we went over the 36 rules that Pharisees created over the Sabbath that you can't do, one of those things was work. And then they break down what the idea of work is, and work included like taking up your mat. And so he's been battling throughout these last few chapters, the Pharisees, so much so that we just read in chapter 8 that they want to stone him and kill him. Of course, he walks out. And what's the first thing he does that we see next? is he heals another man, but he doesn't just speak healing to him. He does something that they wouldn't have allowed. It's on the Sabbath. He spits in the ground. He starts stirring it up in the dirt, and he forms clay. Guess what that's considered in the Sabbath rules? Work. So really, what was Jesus doing? He was poking the religious bear. Like, y'all want to kill me for the last time y'all know this happened? Well, hey, let me just sneak on out of here. And guess what? This is who I am the Lord of the Sabbath, and he makes it happen again. Now, I want you to understand that, of course, this story isn't just about spit. It's about Jesus being the light, showing who he is, the Son of God. He is fully man. He is fully God. But here's the challenge. As Jesus reveals himself time and time again, here's what happens. People will either choose to have faith when Jesus reveals himself to them, or they choose to harden their hearts. There has to be a decision. Everybody makes a decision when Jesus reveals himself. 
and people will either soften their heart or they'll harden their heart. And so when we look at this story, what we will see is that the blind will see, but the seeing will be blind. So let's start with the contrast of those two things this morning. Point number one is blind faith is what you need for the blind to see is blind faith. That's the middle between that and the seeing becoming blind. Blind faith. So when you look at this story, point number one, blind faith trusts God's word. As I said, when Jesus is speaking with his disciples, they're discussing the blind man on the stairs that's begging. And they're discussing whose fault was it and who's its sin and the sin issue and the curse of his life and everything that's going on with that. As they approach, it does not say that Jesus began to speak to the man. It just says that he starts spitting. Now, I want to put you in the position of the blind man. You woke up like you would wake up any other day, doing the things you need to do in order to get to where you need to go, in order to make a living in life, whether you got there yourself or somebody brought you there. You're sitting on the ground, and you're begging for money. This is the lot of your life. And all of a sudden, you might hear people talking, and then you hear people talking about you. It's not the first time he's probably heard people talking about him, pointing the finger at him, even though he can't see it, wondering why he is the way he is, mocking him and making fun of him. And then, as he hears these words, and as they approach, he hears this. <sighs> If you're sitting there, the blind man, you're probably thinking, what in the world is going on? Where did that just go? I didn't feel anything. I want you to fully get this. Jesus spit enough that he formed what was believed to be wads of clay from dry dirt. Y'all have seen the ground in Israel, in the Middle East, in order to rub balls of clay in both eyes. I don't know how long it would have taken Jesus to spit in order to create that much mud, that much clay, unless he had some sort of supernatural spit you would have stood there for a while, spitting and spitting and spitting and spitting, and the whole time this blind man is sitting there. And you've got to think he's wondering what is going on. Everybody's standing around wondering what is going on. The disciples are wondering what is going on. There's questions that have got to be going through his head. And then all of a sudden, the next thing he knows is he's sitting there, or maybe they made him stand up. And Jesus takes some of that spitty, dirty, muddy clay and rubs it in his eyes. We still don't know what's going on. 
He doesn't know what's going on. Can you imagine, like, what is happening to me? Why is this person doing this to me? I get mocked enough. I get made fun of enough. I've been hurt enough in my life. And now you're spitting in the dirt and you're rubbing it in my eyes? Can you even fathom what he's going through in his mind right now? I remember as a little kid, I'd have like probably something on my face, and I have these brief memories just because they were so tragic of my mom licking something to get it off. Come here, you got something on your face. And you'd be like, oh, that's gross. What are you doing? Knock it off. Right? He sat here for five minutes listening to a man named Jesus spit in the dirt and rub it in his eyes. What is going on in this situation? And then after he rubs it in his face, he says to the blind man, you know the guy that can't see? The guy that either is using a walking stick or he has his path memorized, or there's somebody that would probably drop him off and pick him up later on in the day, and so he's there to beg for a while. He says to him, go. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. <laughs> you just spit in the dirt for five minutes. You rub mud in my eye, and you tell a blind man to go. Right? So I looked at the map. The Pool of Siloam is about a half a mile from where he probably would have been standing. Now that's not far for us, most of us here this morning. But if you're blind, that's probably like walking five miles. A half a mile. We were there in 2018. In order to go to the Pool of Siloam, you go up a hill, and then you have to descend downstairs. And so you've got to imagine, he's like, what is this about? Now you're telling me to go, like, how do I go? Who's going to take me? I don't know if he stood up and started walking there. I don't know if he had the stick and somebody guided him there. But can you imagine every step of the way, what must have been going through his head? Like just this man named Jesus does all this to me and then he tells me to go. But he gets up and he begins to take one step after the other. And, and I just sit there and I think what was going through the blind man's head as he took each step for a half a mile, walking to a pool, wondering what's going to take place even when he gets to the pool. And not only is he wondering what's going to take place, I think about this, like I'm walking there and, and I'm going to this pool after all this crazy stuff just happened. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not like I don't look bad every day as it is. Now I've got mud caked in my eyes as I'm walking there. It's not bad enough that people already shamed me for being blind. They condemn me for the way I look or what I might appear. They consider me to be unclean. But now literally I am unclean. Probably have spit 
running down my cheeks as I begin to walk that half a mile. There's muddiness that's covering my face because you know that it's probably rolling down as he approaches that place. What do I look like? How much more shame do I have to endure? What is the condemnation that I'm going through right now? Why is this happening in my life? Why did this happen to me? Why did this guy have to stop and choose me today? You know that it could have happened any other way. We've already seen miracles where Jesus just spoke the word and someone was healed miles away. You know that he could have just touched and he would have been healed. This could have happened any other way. Jesus probably could have made it happen without doing anything. So why all of the hoopla? Like Sometimes I looked at this and I was thinking, you know, it's kind of the model of salvation. Jesus comes to us by grace when we couldn't see ourselves. He gives us that grace, but in that grace of salvation is also the idea that he requires an act of faith in return. He'll come to us, but will we choose to believe in him, to follow after him? And then the final thing that he told him was to wash. Like, if you're this guy, what is washing the mud and the spit off my face going to do? What is the point of the washing? Is it possible that Jesus just wanted him to go there to experience what it means to have your past washed away? To have your shame washed away? To have your hurt washed away? The idea behind the washing that is the word that's used in the original language is to cleanse, to wash clean. It's the general idea of baptism from repentance. You go under the old man, you come out, the new man, regardless of how crazy all of this may have seemed, one thing we know is that he was obedient to what he heard. And remember this, we don't see anywhere that Jesus even promised his healing. He wasn't guaranteed a gift on the other side. It wasn't like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to send you out to, to do all these things, and then you'll have this at the end of it to encourage him, to in, get him to actually go. He literally gave him commands after doing some crazy stuff, and the man was obedient regardless of what would be on the other side. He was obedient to what he heard. I'm not even sure the healing would have happened if this man wasn't obedient to the words of Jesus. I'd probably fall on the side that would say it wouldn't have happened. So even though he may not have even known who Jesus was, 
Or it's possible that he had heard the name of Jesus but didn't know him personally. We have to understand he heard. He heard. And then he launched forward with the biggest step of faith that he had ever taken in life. Romans 10, 17, Paul writes to the church, and what does he say? He says, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. There may have been questions, there may have been doubt, there may have been insecurities, but as he heard, he did. And I can only imagine that for some reason, as Jesus spoke the word of life into his ears, that as that man took each step on his way to the pool, there had to have been something different that came to him through the word of the Lord. That by the time he got to the pool, he was going to do this thing. The blind man walked by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. But because the blind man walked by faith, he got more than sight. The final point of point one is that he could see. But do you imagine, can you imagine what it's like to see for the very first time? Listen, he had never experienced light in his life. He didn't even know what light was. He had never seen shapes or forms. He didn't understand distance. There was no comprehension of what we take for granted. You know, I was reading this article when I was studying for this, and there's a scientist that was in India, and he had found a way to raise money, and he realized, like, blindness is very common in India. Many children are born blind, and a lot of times it's just cataracts over their eyes. So they started raising funds to help remove the cataracts over children's eyes, and they thought it would be a great way for them to see what it is like for somebody to uh, see for the first time in their life and measure what they go through versus us who are born with the ability to see. And so they've raised all this money. They continue to do this to this day. And here's what they found, that for little ones that they, it's, they can see and they slowly start to develop. But if you don't have the ability to see by the time you're an adult, even if you get the ability, there's a good chance it's not going to help you. Because your mind, when you're young, has the ability to adapt to those situations. But when you're an older adult, your mind is no longer in that place. And so what they found as they began to even remove cataracts from people who were blind all of their lives in, in, in India as adults is it actually is worse for them. Most of them still go about as if they're blind. Many of them commit suicide because their, their, their mind cannot comprehend what it means to see a shadow, to see distance, to see depth on stairs. They still need help and assistance. They talk about how everything is blurry in front of them. They go through great bouts of depression because it's, there's more behind seeing than just the ability to see. 
your mind is engaged so much with what your eyes bring to it. And so when we look at this miracle, this was more than just a miracle of healing his eyes. Jesus radically changed both this man's eyes and his mind so that he could see the world immediately and clearly. He didn't just simply open his eyes or, or give him eyes, but through the blind faith, this man trusted the words of Jesus, and Jesus literally rewired his mind and gave him the world. Such a greater miracle than even it would be to heal his eyes. Verse 8 says, Therefore, after this man is healed, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind, they said, Is not this he who sat and begged? They're wondering, is this the one that sat and begged? And some said, it is. Others said, no, it's like him. So there's this discussion amongst all the neighbors in the neighborhood where he grew up as he comes strolling in. And they're like, is that the guy that was been blind? The kid that's been blind down the street all this time? Like, no, I don't think so. I think it, it looks, like, looks like him, but it's somebody else. And like he pokes his head into the scene, and he's like, no, it's me. That's what it says. I am he. Verse 10. Therefore, they looked at him, and they like, how were your eyes open? He answered, and he said, a man, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Pretty simple. And then they said to him, where is he? He's like, I don't know. I just, you read through that, and here's what I want us to understand. Blind faith doesn't need to see Jesus. And that might poke at you a little oddly. But to me, when I read through this, the crazy thing about this man's neighbors is that they have probably known him since he was a baby. They've watched him struggle as he grew up. They've witnessed him begging for a living. You would think if you're the neighbor of this man and you see him walk in, that you would be ecstatic. It is you? Oh my gosh, you look so different. You can see, like... Hallelujah, how did that happen? You'd be jacked for him. Like, I would think there'd be a neighborhood party, a celebration. Y'all know him. Man, this is the, the man that was once blind, but now he sees. Like, like, let's celebrate. What took place in your life? Tell me all about it. You'd think there'd be some sort of excitement that would take place in their lives, rejoicing over the miracle. But they're not. They look at a beggar blind from birth, but they don't see the new creation that's before them. They're looking with closed eyes, and they fail to see the need for their eyes to be open, their lives transformed, their need to become a new creation. The only thing that they can ask out of what's taken place is, where is he? Think about this. The miracle man is right in front of them, but they want to see Jesus. And you know that for many of us, we're no different. We can hear people's testimonies, how great God is in their life. We can see the difference in people, but it's not enough for us. How many times have you heard somebody else's story like, oh, that's good for them? Oh, that's a pretty cool story. 
oh yeah, it definitely looks like their life's different. But it's not enough to change my life. I need to be able to see Jesus for myself. Because we have got to see Jesus for ourselves. I think about in my own life, coming to the Lord. Like for me, it wasn't, it wasn't enough to hear about Jesus in a sermon. Because I went to church once in a while with Stacy. It wasn't enough for me to hear testimonies and read different things. Like, it wasn't even enough to read about Jesus in the Bible. Like, I had to find Jesus outside of the Bible because the Bible wasn't good enough. I had to find Jesus in history because what I read about Jesus everywhere else wasn't good enough. I had to find Jesus in, in the stories of early church writers or or people in the history that talked about who he was and that he actually lived on the face of the earth i had to find jesus outside of even my wife's life oh it's great that she had jesus in her life but jesus in her life wasn't enough for me i demanded to see jesus before i would ever surrender my heart to jesus because everywhere else that I saw him wasn't enough. And my question would have been the same. Where is he? Where is he in this situation? Where is he in that situation? Where is he in what's going on in the world or this suffering over here? Where is Jesus? Yeah, I hear about him in all these different places. And I've read about him in God's word. But where is he? Ironically, the blind man who's just healed, he doesn't even know. Did you know that? Once he left, Jesus split. So the answer to where is he, because it wasn't good enough to just see the miracle man in front of them, he's like, I don't know. I don't know where he's at. I don't know where the man is that just healed me. But he had enough blind faith in order to receive healing and have this experience with Jesus in his life. Blind faith doesn't need to see Jesus. I've always admired, and you guys have heard me talk many a times about my wife's faith. Like, I struggle at times. I'm somebody who wants to find answers. And she's somebody who, as I begin to, like, teach in our small group, uh, she'll say afterwards, like, that's just too complicated. Why do you guys got to discuss things? Like, what does that matter? Like, why do you dissect those things? Because for her, she believes. She doesn't need all of that other stuff. She has that blind faith. Blind faith doesn't need to see Jesus wherever they look. Verse 13 says, then the neighbors, right? They're, torn, they're like, this guy, this is, he's seen. What do they do with him rather than celebrate with him? They bring him to the religious leaders. I don't know about you, but that almost seems like they're telling on him. Really? That's what happened? Hmm, let's go see the religious leaders. So they bring him to the religious leaders. Verse 13, they brought him, who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. And now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So we know the point behind this that John's trying to get across. In verse 15 it says, So the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he says to them, He put clay on my eyes. I washed, 
and I see. Like he doesn't go into great detail. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were like, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Like once again, he did some work on the Sabbath and healed somebody. You're not supposed to do all that. Some of the others, they said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? There was division among them. Everybody say division. They're divided over the fact of how the healing took place. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. I want you to recognize just in a few steps, he's went from his neighbors, this man named Jesus, to the Pharisees like, I don't know. He's obviously more than a man. And listen to you guys talk. Maybe he's a prophet, right? Because he didn't have really any religious upbringing, only what his parents would have given him. But once he would have gotten to the age where he had gotten uh, baptized, then he wouldn't have went on to the religious schools and learned all those things. And he couldn't learn in the temple because he couldn't go in the temple. So he had very little knowledge, but he's learning as he goes. He knows enough to hear, and by hearing comes faith. Because of the word of the Lord, and he was obedient to it. All he knows it was a man, and I don't know where that man is or who that man really is, till he gets to the religious leaders and they start questioning who this man is, and they become divided because some of them are actually arguing that he must be from God. Some are saying that he couldn't be God, and he has this experience with Jesus, and he's able to side with the other guys and say, you know what, then maybe he's a prophet of God. And so you see his faith growing. He's a prophet. Point number three is blind faith doesn't always fit within man's rules. Like, this is where things get messy sometimes in the religious world. Because what they're arguing over is the idea that a miracle happened, but miracles don't happen like this. The miracle doesn't fit with what we know about God. Because we know everything about God. Jesus... God's never healed people differently. It's always the same, right? The opposite of the argument that I talked about before. No, that's not the case. This goes against how we think miracles should happen. God could do it supernaturally. Why wouldn't he have just done it, done it supernaturally? He could have done it all by himself. They could have just stood back and prayed for the man. Maybe if they were real brave and a little bit more charismatic, they extended forth their hands and they prayed for him with their hands extended forth. God could have done it that way. Why would he have done it this way and it would have been all messy? Why would have God created a mess out of the miracle? That doesn't make sense. He wouldn't need to have spit on the ground, created mud. He wouldn't have sent him to the water. If it were God, there wouldn't be a mess from the miracle. Definitely goes against the rules. Just like telling the lame man to take up his mat and walk. Now Jesus stirs up clay mud. What's he doing? He's breaking the Sabbath. Man's rules. Man's rules on purpose. The Sabbath was supposed to be about God, right? But can't be involved in the miraculous on the sabbath day it confuses people on the days that we're supposed to be worshiping god and going to church like a miracle happens it upsets people it divides people this is craziness because it didn't happen the way that we think it should happen that we believe it should happen it's no different in the church today 
we're divided over the exact same topic. If a miracle were to happen on the Sabbath day, right now, right here this morning, there'd be half of this church divided. Like, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen that way. Do you see what took place? You see how they acted, the things they said? Like, that's craziness. That's messiness. That's not what we believe. I'll tell you the one person that's not going to be arguing is the person that had the miraculous happen to them. I don't care what you guys think. I don't care if you think it was the devil or Jesus. I can see. Y'all can talk about the mess. I can see. Like the miracle man's not complaining about the issues. The religious are blinded by their own rules. We all put God in a box. Every one of us of what we think God can do, can't do, and the way he should do it or shouldn't do it. We're blinded by our own rules, our own boundaries, because blind faith doesn't always fit in man's rules. Verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He's of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. You might think that they're answering truthfully. And then we get to this next verse. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that this man was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue, meaning he'd be excommunicated, cut off, no longer able to be a part in a society that religion was everything. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Point number four, blind faith isn't bound by fear. This part of the story saddens me because as I opened with last Sunday, what I talked about is this isn't just a story about a blind man. This is about a story about a man born blind. There's a difference. It didn't just involve him. It involved his parents. It involved them coming together and creating a child and the hopes and the dreams of a child being shattered once they find out that he's blind. And how that would affect them the rest of their lives as they raise him. What else could they have done with their time, with their money, with their efforts? And now they have to care for somebody because back then they didn't have care for those types of people. They would have to face shame and condemnation themselves because everybody's going to question where the curse come from. Whose sin was it? It didn't just start when Jesus and his disciples walked by. It was something that everybody in their community would have looked at. And now... They see their son, and he's healed. There's a man named Jesus. Now their son's saying that maybe he's a prophet from God. He's already been into the neighborhood, probably stopped by his house. His parents, I would hope, were excited. But now when it comes time to go before the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the leaders of their community and their culture in that time frame, they don't even stand up for their son. They won't even speak the truth for their son. They won't back his story. Why? Because they're bound by fear. 
they've already dealt with this humiliation all of their lives. They just want to belong. They just want to feel like they're a part. They just want to have people love them and respect them because they've battled all these thoughts and questions and doubts in people's minds all of their son's life. They don't want to ruin that. They don't want to get kicked out of the church, the synagogue, the temple. They don't want to be officially cut off before everybody in their community. And then their community also excommunicates them as if they weren't looked upon poorly before. Now they'll really look, be looked upon poorly. And so the fear of what it would be to, to look poorly in people's eyes, to look even worse in people's eyes, causes them to put everything back on their own son's shoulders. They see the miracle. They know what Jesus did, but they allow fear to blind them. You'll never be able to fully enjoy the freedom of faith in Christ if you continue to be bound by fear. Verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind, and they said to him, they called him back for a second time. He's under investigation now. They're like, give God the glory. What they mean by give God the glory is tell the truth, that, that this has nothing to do with a man called Jesus. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Fifth point, blind faith is a simple faith. Imagine you're brought in and you're being questioned for the second time. These are powerful and influential people. Your own parents just left you hanging because they choose not to back what you believe like you will back what you believe. They're afraid. These guys are smart. They know God's word. They're pressuring you, and they want answers. I want to know what's going on. I want to know what you believe. I want to hear about this Jesus. And, and then they just drill him and question him, and they don't accept what you say. And some of you people may have have been here before, you've felt that way before, or you've thought, like, if I ever have to share who Jesus is, that I'm afraid that this might happen to me if I start talking to Jesus with the wrong person, or the people that I work with, or that I go to school with, or that I might be around, or other family members, that they're just going to drill me, and they're going to keep asking all these questions that I don't have answers to, and that's why I never really share my faith, because I feel like I never know enough to be able to share my faith. But I love the response of this man. He's like, you know what? I don't know all of the details. I can't even tell you exactly who Jesus is. He was a man. He's, maybe he's a prophet of God. Like, I don't know the story behind Jesus. All I know is this one thing for sure. What he did in my life. And it was enough to secure a foundation of belief that he is from God. I don't care what you have to say about it. I don't care about the questions you ask. I don't care if what you're going to do to me, if you're going to cut me off from the church building and not let me be a part of your society, if people want to make fun of me. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say, or what anybody else says. I know that I know what Jesus did in my life. This one thing I know. You can't take away this experience. It's one thing to know the word of God. 
It's another thing to experience the word of God. Because you can't take that experience from them. You don't have to be a Christian for any certain amount of time. You don't have to have the books of the Bible memorized. You don't need to know a bunch of scripture. You don't have to know the religious rules or the who's who or where Jesus is or what he does. All you got to know is this one thing. What has Jesus done in your life? Blind faith is a simple faith. Verse 26, then they said to him again, what did he do to you? Right? They just start drilling down on everything that he says. Well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them. He said, like, I told you already, and you didn't listen the first time. Why do you want to hear it again? This is the best. Do you also want to become one of his disciples? (laughs) Not only is he not going to answer their questions anymore, but he throws in a little sarcasm. And then they reviled him, which means they were verbally abusing him. And they're like, you're his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. The man answered, and he goes to him like, this is a marvelous thing. You don't know where he's from, and yet he's opened my eyes. Like, you're the religious leaders. You're the special guys in this thing. And he's opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I don't know about you, but when you see that Jesus healed the man's eyes, like I said earlier, he did more than just heal his eyes. He healed his mind. He has revelation. The more he's challenged, the more he's questioned. You might look at it as, this is supposed to be a joyous day, and they're all just trying to take my fun away. Something good happened to me, and now you're turning it into a bad thing. I've suffered all of my life, and you guys want me to keep suffering. People have done nothing but hurt me, and now you're all continuing to hurt me. No, that's not what this dude. As he takes each step of his very beginning walk of faith with Jesus, every challenge that's thrown his way is a step of faith that causes him to grow in his faith. From the very first moment of... we don't believe you how did he do it again I don't know but you guys are supposed to know that Bible better than I do and I know this God doesn't answer the prayers of a sinner but if a man follows the word of God then he will answer his prayers and this man must be from God they answered and they said to him You were completely born in sins. And you were teaching us? And they kicked him out. Now, if you remember last Sunday, the idea of him being born in sin that they believed back then was that if you were born blind, it was either you that sinned as you were a baby in your mother's womb, 
or that your mama must have sinned or your daddy must have sinned and part of your DNA is full of sin and that's why you had been born blind. So they go from, we're not sure, they're divided, they start questioning, they continue to drill down on him, he gets a little smart alecky and so now they turn to insulting him. It wasn't a question of whether they really believed in the miracle. In the beginning, there was some people that were questioning, could this miracle have really happened until they brought the parents in, the scripture says. And then when the parents said what was, had taken place, then they had to have made a choice. Was this man actually healed? Did he go from being blind to having the ability to see? Now they don't even care about the miracle, right? Because they know that he can see, but they must have chosen to believe and not wanted to admit it because they're saying, but when you were born, you were born completely in sin, you disgusting little, right? They went back to the fact that he was blind because he was born into sin. So what are they saying? They believe. And so they can't argue. They kick him out. Number six, and I promise I'm approaching the end because there's only seven points in a conclusion. Blind faith isn't shaken. Now, I've heard it said that a man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. A man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Blinded by pride, they could question him, vilify him, mock him, even reject him and cut him off from modern day, their, their modern day, their time of society. But nobody was going to make him take sides against Jesus. His faith was a blind faith, and it was unshakable. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. When he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? This guy answers and he says, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Like, tell me, I want to believe in him. Jesus said to him, you've both seen him, and it is he that is talking to you. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Number seven, my final point, that blind faith worships. Rejected by his neighbors, his family, and now his community leaders. Who does he have left in his life? Mind you, remember he was shamed and condemned as a blind man growing up. A poor beggar outside the temple considered to be unclean. He probably didn't have too many friends. And now he's kicked out of the temple, the only thing that would have given him that hope of community in his life. There's nobody left in his life but Jesus. The Jews, they cast him out of the temple, but the Lord of the temple found him. Jesus continues to pursue the outcasts. Now, the blind man had been healed, but he had never seen Jesus' face. And so if you can imagine, Jesus returns to him, and even though he can see, he does not understand who Jesus really is unless he can hear by his voice, right? He obviously knew of Jesus, experienced Jesus, and even defended Jesus before he ever even fully believed in Jesus. 
his knowledge grew as he went through his challenges, through his trials. He went from, this is a man called Jesus, to this must be a prophet of God, and then he relates to him as if he is a disciple of his. Do you guys want to be disciples of his too? He included himself in as a disciple of Jesus. And so his faith is continuing to grow as, as he's being challenged in his faith. Listen, had he not been challenged in his faith from the moment he was healed by Jesus, what would have happened? More than likely, he would have just went about his life. Like, that was an awesome thing. Praise God, I can see. I don't know who did it. He never came back for me. But I'm so thankful, I can see. But because of the challenges that were thrown in front of him, from the point of the miracle that took place, the experience that took place in his life, he's done nothing but grow and grow in a short time frame to a place where he is solid on his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows what he knows. It's so interesting when you look at his progression. He couldn't be shaken, but he still didn't have that up-close and personal relationship with Jesus. Think about this. In the face of opposition and rejection, Jesus reveals himself and demands a response. Do you believe? He thought being blind was difficult. This Jesus thing is pretty rough from the very beginning. Who is the Son of God? You've now seen me and heard me. And he responds in the only way that he knows. He responds in the only way that he could think to respond. See, like I said, he wasn't raised in the church. He wasn't raised with all the rules. He didn't know the way that people are supposed to do things. When he accepts Christ into his life, it wasn't about we've got to do this now. We've got to go through 101, 201, 301, and 401. At 101, we're going to discuss the meaning of salvation and communion and baptism and invite you to be baptized. And then, listen, blind man, 201, we're going to give you the in-depth studies. And this is how you praise God and what the words are are and what they mean and the expression behind them and how you should do this and you should do that and this is going to help you grow in your faith and all sorts of things like that now i'm not knocking those things they help us they're tools in our lives but what i'm saying is we do those things to help people become established in their faith this man from the day he experienced jesus through the trials and the tribulations that immediately took place had a foundation that couldn't be shaken and so when he was introduced to Jesus the only response he could give because he wasn't tainted by man's ways was to drop and worship the Lord to worship him to worship him doesn't matter what I was born like doesn't matter what people have had to say about me. doesn't matter that I was just cut off and rejected again. doesn't matter that ever since I've come to know this experience with Jesus that I've been mocked and made fun of even more so. It doesn't matter. I experienced him 
I heard his voice. My life was changed. Now he's in my heart. And I will worship him. Forget about my past. All I can see, all I can see is my future. And my future is going to include worship. He worshiped Jesus. And Jesus said, at that point, there must have been other people still around him. I've come into the, this world. Like, listen, for them to worship Jesus, there should be two things here that we recognize. Jesus didn't say, get up off your knees, don't worship me, I'm just a man. So for those that teach that Jesus was just a good man, a good teacher, or a prophet of God, it would have never been acceptable for any one of those to accept worship from another man. Every time in the Bible that you see like an angel appears and people fall on their face, then angel's like, whoa, 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 get up, get up, get up. Stop that. Don't worship me. Worship him. That includes a lot of other false Christian faiths that believe that Jesus is a good teacher or a good prophet but he would never receive worship if he was just a man. In this case, he falls down and he worships Jesus. And then he says, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and then those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and they said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore your sin remains. If you follow that, he's flipping the script from the physical to the spiritual. He can make the blind see those who don't understand the spiritual side of life and help us to see what's real, what's true, and worship Jesus. But for those who think they know it all in the world, they're really blinded by the world. It is those who are blinded that are blinded to the things of the world but see spiritually that have the ability to truly see, have the ability to walk without sin, in reference to the blood of Jesus washing us clean. But it is those who see but are blind to things that are spiritual that will continue in their sin. If you look at the Gospel of John, you'll see like Jesus almost makes a contradictory statement about judging here. Like because he said, I didn't come to condemn the world, right? But to, to save the world. But when he's talking about judgment, as I said in the very beginning, every time Jesus reveals himself to people, there's a judgment that is made. People will either choose to soften their heart and accept him, and they will see. They will begin to see Jesus all around them in every aspect of life, or they will harden their heart, and they will gradually become blinded 
to the spiritual side of this life. I pray this morning that we all see the greatest miracle that takes place in this passage of Scripture. The most amazing miracle that happens is not the unbelief of the Pharisees in spite of the obvious gift of sight that this blind man received, nor was it the physical healing of the blind man's eyes, nor was it the reprogramming of his brain so that he could see clearly and understand clearly. The greatest miracle was the gift of blind faith that caused this man to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, and to commit his life to follow after him. That's the miracle we all need to see if we're going to have blind faith. What Jesus has done in your life. You can only get to that place through humility and understanding. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see.